hi there. I can see that you're one of the smart ones who decided to listen to the second half of this interview. Yeah, Daddy always says that the second half is better, but no one ever listens to it. Hey, what are you guys doing? Uh, uh nothing. We gotta go. Sorry. Enjoy the rest of the second half. Bye. Get out of there. Hola, bienvenidos. This is Richard Wilson. With this podcast, there are no electives. Every program is a prerequisite. The semester is in session. It's season two of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Jim Martin, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Chris Beyer. Tonight is our second half of our interview with Mr. Tom Schuler, local cycling legend. Thanks again for joining us, Tom. We appreciate it. Great to be here for the second half. So we talked a lot about the cycling career and your involvement in that. I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you've been doing since uh, 90, 91-ish. 90, I know you got a, a couple of different races you're involved with and, and organize the Tour of America's Dairyland. That's yep. correct. This was our 11th year. Yep. And then the other one was the Ride Across Wisconsin. Ride Across Wisconsin well. Raw. Okay. Um, this will be the fifth year. What is your title with Toad? S- since I retired, I, I primarily got into athlete and team management. Okay. Um, in cycling, triathlon, mountain bike, 20 different teams over the last 20 years uh, when I started my company called Team Sports in uh, 92. The second part of the business, besides the team management, about 15 years ago, we started managing events. For events, you can be an event owner or you can just do the work and be a a manager, so to speak. So the Tour of America's Dairyland, I'm one of the three owners in that event. Okay. Um, Raw, I'm just a, a worker, a manager. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm responsible for certain things. I helped found the event with Dave Schlebowski, who is, it was his idea. Dave Schlebowski of the Bicycle Federation of Wisconsin. It's a fun, Raw is a fundraiser for the Bicycle Federation of Wisconsin, and that's coming up this weekend. That's a one-day ride uh, across the entire state. Correct. Up until this point, it's been from Dubuque to Kenosha. This year, we mix it up, and we're um, changing it up. We're going from La Crosse to Green Bay, 225 miles in one day, or you can do it in two days, and we have about 550 in the one day and about 350 in the two day. Oh, okay. So it's very a very fun event. I'm responsible for the route, for the um, the and the the rest stops are my two primaries. I've driven the route four times. I'm marking the course this Thursday. I need to know those roads like the back of my hand, and they're oh, all yeah. rural roads. We find the best roads, low traffic, best surface, oh, that's you great. know, scenic that we can find. And it, it takes a lot of work to find. A path from Lacrosse to Green yeah. Bay, two hundred twenty-five miles. That's cool. But, um, so you're not you're not doing any uh, like bike trails then or anything. It's all on the road. No, with when you when you get over a certain threshold of people within a dense populated area, you need to get off the trail and onto the roads. That makes but, sense. And yeah. then um, the Bone Ride is another ride that I organize. It's a free fun ride. We do the third Wednesday in May. Mm-hmm. We ride from here to Madison. We have lunch and we ride home. Oh, okay. what, uh, what's the origin of the name? So the origin is um, we, had, we had a nickname for a fellow racer, and we called him the Bonehead <laughs> because 
he would train at about 25 miles an hour, and he would race at about 27 miles an hour. Okay. He had a two-mile difference between his training and his racing. And he would kill us in training. Sure. And we would kill him in racing. So we call it, we nicknamed him the bonehead. Yeah. So <laughs> the kind of miles where you're tr- you're going fast on a long training day, we call those, you know, bone miles, just long, long miles. Um, okay. Right. And the bone ride is on that concept in the sense that it's not a race, but it is, right? You guys go at a very fast pace. Yeah. We keep it at about 20 on the way out. Very civilized. We all come into Madison, and then on the way back, they get to race. Yeah. I keep them together till uh, Cottage Grove, and then all bets are off, and they just take off. Yeah. And it's a suffer fest on the way back, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's a, they call it a drop ride. You get dropped, they're not waiting for you. We do have SAG vehicles. Okay. Yeah, we have SAG vehicles, and you can hop in. We If you have a flat tire, we fixed your flat, and we shuttle you forward to back. The, go, the goal is to ride into Madison as a... 150 person group altogether, and we oh, usually okay. do. Oh, we don't cool. drop that many people. Yeah, cycling. I've heard it said, you know, this is an old saying now, but cycling's like the new golf. People get together; it's a social thing. Do you see a lot of that? Has it changed a lot over the years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it drives a lot of the sales. The the people buying nice bikes and clothing aren't going to race. They're there for their fitness. They're there for you know, to clear their heads. It feels good when you get back. It's, um, you know, a round of golf takes a lot of time, and so does a long bike ride. But you feel differently after you've been on your bike for four hours. You know, you sure. generally feel tired and refreshed. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I think I will actually get on my road bike tomorrow at 6 a.m. I was invited to join some friends who were in town for Raw, oh, one okay. from Lacrosse. And I, I think I'll get on my road bike since the, for the first time since May 18th. But for a one-hour spin, we're going to meet at 6 a.m. at the Hollander. And, okay. uh, you better get out of here. You need some sleep. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen you on a spokesman ride. Have you ever been on a spokesman I've, ride? I've done a couple. I've done a couple on like a Sunday morning mm-hmm. and did learn some new routes. But mm-hmm. that was probably 10 years ago. Okay. Did I did the, the Tuesday morning puker ride one day? But you're, you're a bit of a race planner, as, as, I'm, as am I. In our group, I'm known as the guy that plans a lot of the stuff. Did you make that route? I came up with the. It's called the 10 mile tour of Tosa. No, no, oh, that I've heard about that. No, I mean the the puker intervals. Yeah, those on Revere. On Revere, yeah. I came up with that back in the year 2000. That's an awesome. And uh, coming up in uh, about a month, I've got uh, I call it the massacre ride, which is 100 kilometers of all the toughest hills I can put into one ride. And we did last year in in sixty two miles, hundred k. We did over five thousand feet of climbing. That's what people told well, that's me. That's amazing for around here. So send me the information on that one. The mass that's the massacre. The massacre yep. And then <laughs> is that the one that Brent Emery would have publicized and gone with you? He or did does, once. He does did he once. do his own version of a ride like that? <clears throat> I don't know, but one year he was on it with us. Okay. About four or I five think years he was ago. promoting it, and I saw something. Yeah, Brent um, Emery, another local cycling legend. Did you compete against him? Yeah, I did quite a bit. He, um, you know, for the bulk of his career, he was primarily a velodrome racer. Right. So we didn't overlap that much except in some of the criteriums. But, yeah, we'd go. We were never, um, we were never, you know, trade team teammates. But we were, he's a couple of years younger than I am, but I think we were on the 80 Olympic team together. He was another guy that was affected by the boycott. Yeah, and then he got his medal in 84 his silver medal in Los Angeles. 
um, on the in the team pursuit. But anyway, yeah. So cycling is the new golf. Our group, you know, you'll get anywhere from six or eight to twenty-five people showing up for a ride. And uh, there was a book out years ago. I read it. It was called Bowling Alone. Do you remember that? No, I don't. But Bowling Alone was a sociological <clears throat> study of how people don't get together in groups anymore. You know, hence bowling alone. You know, people used to be in bowling leagues, mm-hmm. and now people are doing things in a solo fashion. And you know, the the death of all these you know Knights of Columbus and and the Rotary Club about how those used to be very integral to communities, and now everybody's sitting at home by themselves and and not joining clubs and not getting together with groups. And they talk about how, um, especially with men, you know, men a lot of times can be more loners. And being involved in a group like a cycling group, like the one we're talking about, brings people together in a camaraderie that a middle-aged man wouldn't have. It's it's important that uh, people do things like that. Well, you know, we, we all played stick and ball sports, right? Mm-hmm. And as an adult, you, you know, you, you're not going to call up your buddies and say, hey, <laughs> want to go play some baseball? Yeah. Right, right. You probably wouldn't even say, want to go toss the football? Right. You might play organized hoops in the winter at a you know in a gym somewhere at the ymca but until your knees give out until your knees give out or you (laughs) might even play soccer until you roll your ankle but you might say like they reached out to me tonight and said hey we're riding at six this guy's in town tim's in town do you want to go it's not the bonehead is it it's not the bonehead the bonehead no, no, no. It's not, but it, he was from Lacrosse. Very good. Yeah. No, but Tim is also from Lacrosse. He lives in Colorado now, and he's in town to do the raw ride. Sure. But yeah, you again. It's very easy to socially say, as a spokesman, "Hey, it's a full moon. Let's go do a bike ride." And then next thing you know, it's the full moon ride. Yeah. That, yeah. Another local shout out to Marty Vanderveld. Marty joined our group. I don't know, ten, twelve years ago, and he came up with this idea for having a ride. At every time there's a full moon, when the weather's climate, when the weather's good, and it grew from nothing to now 200 people show up. It's a great idea, and that's the point. Right, it's a very easy sport to do. I mean, running is tough to do. You have to be with people of your exact same caliber. You know what I mean? Right. Cycling yeah. because of the drafting effect, and you know you can ride with a, a wider range of people i think right um you can also again do it with four people eight people two people one person it doesn't matter you don't need a team you don't need not, you know nine people or whatever it takes to have a team yeah. and it's easier on your joints yeah. unless you crash so <laughs> let me ask you this yeah. tell me your worst cycling crash yeah i was really fortunate i didn't have any uh, uh crashes that really took me out for any length of time I had plenty of good crashes, but they, I just got skinned up. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you weren't wearing helmets back then. That's crazy, right? Yeah, so it's for a good part of my career, we were either, either wearing those leather hair, hairnets or when we raced in Europe, we didn't wear helmets. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. That is, I mean, you'd wear like a little cotton hat. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. probably fine. Yeah, 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 no. <laughs> just, just, but, you, but you didn't think about it, right? And there mm-hmm. weren't that many... Crashes where there were head injuries. Why not? Why not in the sense that I thought about that because they say, "Oh, isn't that crazy?" Back in the sixties, seventies, eighties, they weren't crashed. They, they weren't wearing helmets. I don't know. How I come people answer. weren't dying? Back well, then? you would ring your bell and you would get on your bike, and with a concussion, you'd keep going. Yeah, and that yeah. I'm sure I did that. But you know, nowadays with concussion protocols, and you know, they're trying to figure out in cycling how to how to deal with this because. When you're in the Tour de France and you hit your head, right, and you don't get up and go, you know you're out of the race. 
Yeah. And if there's a strict protocol concussion, yeah. like we have in football, we probably would have lost done. an extra, you know, six six or eight guys this year alone. Right. What brought you to Milwaukee again from Detroit? Was it cycling? Yeah. So I was uh, actually living up in Minneapolis racing full time with the Seven Eleven team. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Jim Okowitz had asked me to help him manage the team. Right. So I moved here to help him manage the team. Because the he was based team. here. Um, so, again, we were teammates with Eric Hyden on this AMF team. And then when the idea to have a true professional team started, mm -hmm. Eric was the anchor. Right. And then assembled around Eric was were people like myself and a few others. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I forgot to ask what brought you to Milwaukee. I assume it was cycling. But you mentioned your wife. I thought maybe it was you met her or something like that. She's from Chicago. Okay. And we did meet at a bike race. We met at the Velodrome. Ah, there you go. Isn't so that you, romantic? Yeah. <laughs> so Eric Hyden, to me, seems like a, a great guy. Do you know what's he like? Super, super modest, super mm -hmm. humble. Um, nicest guy, um, never wanted to cash in like he could have from mm -hmm. his, his fame. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And he eventually, he did a little stint as a bike racer on our team. Sure. But then he went back to finish his undergraduate degree. Then he went to med school. Oh, okay. And he has a very successful uh, orthopedic, uh, career. He's an orthopedic surgeon okay. in, in Park City. Okay. Oh, cool. He has a lot of sports, mostly sports. Sports medicine specialty. Makes sense, yeah. Um, and, yeah, just the nicest guy. He volunteers his time for a couple different teams, including the U.S. speed skating team mm -hmm. and uh, the professional uh, CCC team that Jim Okowitz still manages. Right. So Okay. I was little. I was probably, what, in 80, I was 10. So, um, you know, I, I remember that for sure. But the persona was always, you know, like you said, this humble, you know, Midwestern guy, just a nice guy and – Good no, to know that's real. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> another it's real. Another guy you mentioned uh, was Lance Armstrong, and you said you've got a relationship with him. And obviously, we don't want to have you violate any trust of any of your friends here in terms of uh, talking too much about the relationship. <laughs> what dirt you got? Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> not not, not talking about dirt, but what what uh, what has been the nature of your relationship with Armstrong over the years? So, um, so we had the Seven Eleven team, and then it became the Motorola team, right? Yeah. But we did draft Lance Armstrong as an amateur. Right. That's what it was. In 91, the first year of Motorola for the 92 season, right. we drafted him as an amateur. And the plan was that he would race as an amateur on the team with the national team. And then the day after the Barcelona Olympics in 92, he'd turn professional. And right. that's what he did. And you were more into the coaching aspect. Yeah, I was coaching. I think I took Lance to the... Uh, the Olympic trials were in Altoona, Pennsylvania that year. I was his coach mm -hmm. at those Olympic trials, his manager. And hmm. you, did you have anything to do with him uh, going forward with the uh, post, U.S. Postal team? Was there any involvement with that? So hmm. he's on the Motorola team. He raced for Motorola for six years, mm -hmm. uh, maybe five years, from 92 to 96. Right. The Motorola team ended in 96. Right. That team stopped. Right. And there wasn't a replacement sponsor. So, and he got cancer in 96. Hmm. So his career stopped in um, 95, I think he got cancer. So anyway, his, his career was halted temporarily and the sponsorship ended. Mm -hmm. So he had a contract with, to ride for, I think it was 
La Vie Claire or one of the French teams. It was uh, Cofidis. Cofidis. Cofidis um, the next year, and that's a whole other chapter. But anyway, um, so I left mm-hmm. the team in 92. Not, yeah, 90, 93. Yeah, you moved, moved left, on with your I life. I left the Motorola team, right. started my own company called Team Sports in 93. Well, I'd, oh, okay. I'd actually started it the year before. After you finished with Motorola, what was the nature of your relationship with Armstrong from then going forward? Just You know, so I have a phenomenal relationship with Jim Okowicz to this day. Um, we don't get together often, but we'll go to – we have reunions every so often, and I'll talk to him. So with Armstrong, it's every relationship in – I would say in the sport got strained, you know. If you had a relationship with Lance, it got strained. If, if, you know, going through the difficult times he had, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I wasn't working with him. I wasn't working on the team he was on. I didn't have any uh, professional interaction. But it definitely got strained during those years for sure. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't really. I've got. I've had no reason for it to come back together. So mm-hmm. yeah, you don't. Um, you don't run into him. You don't. Run in those circles. No, I, you know, he he doesn't travel much in cycling, and I don't travel in that that the type of cycling events he might go to. Mm-hmm. But right. he really doesn't go to a lot of cycling events. Mm-hmm. Do you have his phone number? Absolutely not. No, I, I haven't had his phone number. Good question, though. That's a good test. I haven't had his phone number. Because oh, I do have his phone number. It's probably an old number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about uh, Greg Lamond? Did you know him well? Yeah, Lamond. I, I've. And that was, and that's part of the, the the rub between my relationship with Lance is I've always been a good friend of Greg LeMond's. Hmm. You know, just he's younger than I am, but we raced together and just socially we we would do things. And when he and Lance started fighting, you know, if you weren't on Lance's, if you were on Greg's side, you couldn't be on Lance's side too. Right. Sure. Remember when right. they were fighting? So I was, I've been a friend with Greg forever. I'm not I'm not giving up my friendship with Greg over you. Sure. So that's kind of the rub. But yeah, Greg's been a good friend for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Do you have his phone number? Absolutely. <laughs> he doesn't answer his phone when I call him, but who I have was, his phone number. <laughs> who was the uh, who was the greatest cyclist you raced against? Lamont, maybe. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Um, you could say, I mean, I raced with. <laughs> I really right. didn't race against right. Bernard. He know. Um, you were in the same races yeah, with I was him. In the same races, um, certainly Francesco Moser. Um, never raced with Indurain, but yeah, I, I think Lamont just because to be an American and win three Tour de France's, um, doing it his way, doing it uh, clean. Think about that. It's a pretty big doing deal. It clean. Mm-hmm. Now you were probably more of a domestique, perhaps. Uh, what was your role on the team, and what was your most notable result? So, as an American team, we we you know we started with all getting our chances to win. As we got to Europe, we had to be more specialized, and I would have fit in more to that domestique role. But I didn't race with our team that much in Europe, and we were trying to break the convention of how teams were organized. So I mm. I had. I won a fair amount of bike races. I was more oh, of a sprinter, and um, well, but you, not in Europe. Okay. I, I didn't never won a professional bike race in Europe. Okay. I won amateur races in Europe and Belgium, but back here I won a lot of races just because I was a sprinter. But here we treated it differently, where where every rider would get a chance to win based on their strengths. But in Europe you can't do that. If you you know, mm-hmm. there's only a few sprinters that to get 
that to go get to go for the win, and there's only a few GC riders or classic riders. Right. And I I didn't my career wasn't that extensive that I but I was definitely in the domestic side of things. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, I followed professional cycling. Was there any? And I know the races you're speaking of. Was there any race where you finished in the top five, top ten, top fifteen, or something like that? I mean, my biggest result was probably winning the the U.S. Professional Road Championships, which used to be in Philadelphia. So that was well, that that certainly mm-hmm. counts. And we sure. and here in Wauwatosa, we have two time winner of the U.S. That the exact same race. Yeah, Matt, Matt, Boucher. Matt Boucher. That race used to be open to the world, and so the person I beat, who was second, was Mario Cipollini's brother. Oh, really? You hmm. know who Mario Cipollini is, right? Yep. The race eventually became for. For Americans only. Oh, okay. you know, they, right. Some national championships are just Americans. That's how it is now. Mm-hmm. But back in the early days, it was wide open. So sometimes an American would win the race outright. Right. As or you did, you're saying. As yeah. I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you would finish fifth and you'd become the U.S. Pro Champion. Because oh, you were okay. the you're highest first ranked American. American right? Right? Yeah. So, yeah. so you're so, saying back when you did, it was harder. Much harder. Much harder. Much harder. Well, that's I usually do my homework. I did not know that you were the former U.S. Pro Champion. Yeah, in 87 and um, in 85, I was sprinting for the win and I pulled my one of the more bizarre mishaps I've had in my career. I pulled in the sprint. My my gear shifted from the fifteen to the twelve, and that lurch. Ooh. This was before ratchet. This was right. friction shifting, back in the day. And I pulled my foot out of the shoe. Right. With so much, oh. we had toe clips. Came out of the shoe, and I rolled rolled across the finish line in last place in a group of five, with my oh. stocking foot on the pedal, <laughs> my shoe dangling in the toe clip. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays, my teammate. Yeah. Eric Hyden was also in that sprint, and he won the race. Yeah. Do you have his phone number? Uh, I, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> you <laughs> I don't call him either. Right. Change the story and just say you let out Eric Hyden. I did orchestrate. I absolutely orchestrated his tactics. I yeah. said, sit on. You know, again, he didn't. I had a little more experience than he did. From I said, sit on for the last ten miles. I'll control these guys, and uh, I, I've. Positioned myself at the front. He came from the back with a head of steam, mm-hmm. and no one was going to catch him. Yeah, right. And my foot pulled out. But anyway, that's a that was an interesting story. But it was really good for that race in '85. That was the first edition of that race mm-hmm. in Philadelphia to have Eric Hyden win that race. Yeah, it yeah. really helped put that that race on the map. Yeah. Sure. Well, hey, uh, I want to thank you for stopping by here tonight tom yeah, we had a good time tom. talking we yeah. you know as being a spokesman we might hear a, have a lot of fellow cyclists listening to this podcast and all these different uh things that be only interesting to cyclists will have an audience for those people <laughs> um, so anyway thanks a lot yeah, tom. thanks again tom and we'll uh, we'll wrap things up here we'll count it down we count down the, to the music count yeah, down we, the music I think, did we do that for the tour i don't, I know. don't, I don't think know. we did but thanks jim thanks chris i sure. very much enjoyed it all right here all right, we we'll go do the countdown Three, Three, two, two, one. Music. There we go. All right, well, another podcast in the can. (laughs) Awesome. Good night, everybody. All right. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast with our guest, official photographer for the Milwaukee Brewers, Scott Paulus, when we attempt to quell any concerns that he might have as a first-time podcast guest. There's one of them where I went up in a stunt plane. And the pilot, just the only thing he briefed me on is that, okay, I've been, I've done this before. When I tell you to, I'm going to go straight up in the air. 
just throw the camera behind your head. I'll tell you if you're straight and you're looking right at me, and then you just snap away. Did you? Did you? Uh, did you puke? No, no. no? I'm, okay. I'm very proud. I'll say yeah. this: about half of our guests puke before the end of the night. So, <laughs> so be prepared. Be yeah. prepared. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have noticed that I'm starting to get nauseous. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.